Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Jarhead, directed by Sam Mendes, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Jamie Foxx. My name is Cameron Tuttle and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? Well, Cameron, there are multiple ways to be a jarhead, not just being a U.S. Marine. Let me tell you. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm completely zoned out. It's a little late, but I ate a whole DiGiorno's pizza. I'm just kind of I'm in shock. I'm in denial <laughs> in the at the current moment. Um, I guess I was hungry this Monday night, man. I don't know. I don't know what it came over me. I just the stormy weather. Um, I'm wearing this if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing this like super bright orange sweatshirt. Um, it's for the I work for a workwear company now doing marketing for them. Um, this thing is built like a tank, dude. So it makes you just want to fall asleep. You know, it's, all right, it's, all right. Uh, no, you know, no more marketing for uh, your <laughs> for your it's company. It's hideous, <laughs> so you shouldn't buy it. I mean, like it's made to be seen by like yeah, lights. it's workwear. Yeah. Um, but I gotta say it is so, so I'm, I'm sleepy. I got pizza in the belly. Um, shout out to, uh, you know, you Cameron. And I'm pretty sure Juzo told me this too, but I'd been a total addict for peanut M&Ms lately. I have no idea Mm. what it is about it. Um, so yeah, I'm doing well, Cameron. How about you? What's going on? Doing good. I, I feel like things have, um, you know, kind of settled a little bit for me, which is good. So um, it's funny, my TV died this week, <laughs> which is terrible. Uh, I think it was like last Monday, actually, or the last Tuesday. Oh. Um, and I was I, th- I was just playing some Horizon Zero Dawn, the original, um, and it just, uh, the screen went black on one side and then fuzzy on the other. And I turned it off and turned it back to, back on, and it would not come on. So I had to <laughs> I had to buy a new TV, um, which definitely sucked. Uh, it it stung a little bit, but um, what'd you get? What'd you it, get? I got a. So you're gonna laugh because this is a cheap brand, but uh, this TV is is really really good. Um, I got a Hisense U7G. Okay. Wow. So it's um it's like their higher end. So Hisense is like obviously a pretty cheap brand, but it's their higher end TV. Um, and it's impressing me so far. Wow. I'm really impressed. Is it like one of so. those QLED TVs or just like a normal? Yeah. Oh, it is QLED. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's QLED. It's got the back, the you know, the local dimming zones and whatnot. Well, anyways, I, I did use that as an opportunity to watch a couple things. I watched Genius, uh, which I thought was was very good. Yeah. Um, really impressed with it. Definitely f- feel you on, you know, getting back into Kanye's music and, you know, listening to some of his earlier stuff too. I think the first episode is probably the best episode. I agree. Uh, but it, it definitely, it feels really unique. It's a, it's a, it's a very unusual look at an artist that I, I don't think you get very often fr- from basically, you know, his earliest, earliest moments being, being an artist, uh, to, uh, current day, basically. It's so, actually pretty impressive. Unbelievable that the footage exists. Yeah. It literally doesn't make any sense. And for that reason alone, just the conversation around like digital history existing, you know, this idea that like we, for the first time in human history, it feels like are not just capturing moments with a picture, but like almost recording people's lives. I mean, even, even as far as to go, like, you know, Cameron and I have been not, not to get too philosophical at the beginning of the show, but like 
we've been podcasting for what almost three four years now like that's like like you could go back to some of our earliest episodes and we sound like completely different people much happier <laughs> joyful people but like it's just you know no it's just it's interesting to think about how like so many people are creating content in a casual and professional way it's like yeah. terrifying to think about like these superstars you know it, it's it's almost like we have these movies um like the 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 queen movie or um what the the other like mo- uh, like documentary style um biopics right and it's like you know what's better than a biopic is like actually watching the guy like when he's yeah. when he's like a like I don't know it's just it's unbelievable so no matter how you feel about Kanye like I feel like you got to see that and just be like wow I can't even believe that this is this was accidentally captured before fame you know uh, yeah and and what's definitely interesting was uh uh relating it back to our our last movie last week uh, 1984 kind of the surveillance aspect in, yeah. in a little bit uh, yeah. you know in, in some ways where it definitely like you're saying it feels like everything that we're doing now is kind of uh it is kind of being watched in some way mm-hmm. and that's that's gotten even more so since you know the early 2000s when when Kanye was was you know getting his fame you know, now everybody has a phone on them and everybody is recording everything at all times. So it is very, it is very strange to think about that in, you know, in, in those terms, but not, not um, to, not to go down the rabbit hole too much, Cameron, but to think about this, right. Cause our podcast isn't listened to by like a ton of people, but like our show in like 200 years from now, is probably going to be seen like that old vinyl in like a record store today in the modern era where it's like oh this is like a this is just like a random one dollar like you know cd right from these two guys like you can listen to their work from like ancient history you know uh like like eventually we'll be uh we'll be a part of that and i'm sure there'll be some hipsters that are like this is cool we listen we listen to (laughs) these old people talk about movies you know i don't know it's kind of neat to think about but. Yeah, I mean, I assume it'll just get lost in the in the shuffle, but uh, you know, who knows? But hey, I, we're I, at the start, uh, so, man. We're pretty much at the start. All right. So, <laughs> um, but uh, on top of that, I started rewatching in in kind of the same vein, actually, uh, rewatching the Last Dance, uh, which is about uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, I, have you seen that? No, I, I've only heard good things about it though. It's really, really spectacular. Yeah, uh, um, probably it might be the best sports documentary of all time it is it's it's definitely up there and i don't even really care about sports that much but it is it is incredible storytelling it's incredible craftsmanship just just all around a a wonderful documentary and then uh yesterday i watched the oscars with juzo oh uh, i know a little bit about this yes yeah um we can (laughs) uh did you see did you see the 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 hot controversy yeah how about that smack though right yeah what a Um, wow well it's, it's interesting because when we were watching it uh, we thought it was a goof or like, you know, like a gag. They were, they were kind of doing the whole, the same thing like the whole night. Right. They were, they were doing these, these goofs 
um, n- not quite as intricate, I guess, but definitely they had a uh, a certain vibe about uh, being kind of silly throughout the award show. And we were commenting the whole time. We were like, we we're like, ah, oh, this is like all this is dumb, you know. Basically, we we want it to be stripped down. And they, it's it feel it, the the one complaint that we definitely had, me and Juzo, was that they stripped out the live, you know. Uh, receiving of certain awards, certain, you know, non-important awards for these stupid gags that Wanda Sykes is doing um, or, you know, uh, is it Amy Schumer? Is that her yeah, name? Yes. She was um, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, it feels, it feels weird that they're giving airtime to these, you know, dumb gags on the, at, at the same time they're taking out, time for the actual awards which is why people are there so um that was like our big complaint throughout the whole night and then when that happened we kind of thought it was another gag and there was one of the reasons was because it was it was blocked for tv the sound was blocked for tv um because he was he was swearing so there was a big long silence uh on tv and so we didn't, re- as it was happening, we didn't really understand what was going on. And it, it looked kind of fake. The, the slap did, it looked like he had like, you know, leaned away or something. Um, so we, we weren't really sure what had happened. Uh, and then as the night progressed, uh, we were looking on Twitter and we saw the, the uncensored <laughs> version on, you know, the Japanese television or the Australian television. And, uh, we were like, oh, wow, that, that was, that was actually real. That, <laughs> that was something that, that happened on, on live television. It was, it was kind of crazy. It was again, one of those moments. And I said it in early in the night, I was like, all I'm looking for tonight is another, uh, <laughs> moonlight, um, being switched up with, with La La Land moment <laughs> and, and, you know, we got it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always something, uh, bound to go wrong. And I feel like that's kind of half the excitement at this point for the show. Cause I just don't, I mean, like, I feel like you have to be pretty enthusiast. Um, even for someone like myself, who's does a movie podcast, like I could care less about the Oscars. I, I don't think I've even seen any, I it feels like I've never seen any of the movies that are being talked about uh at the Oscars and um I'm just I was just thinking about Dune so I'm sure they won something but I again didn't I didn't yeah, watch Yeah, they it. won a f- they won a few technical awards. Yeah. Um yeah, I guess highlights from the show other than the controversy stuff. Uh Coda w- won best picture. Um that's pretty important because Apple TV Plus is the studio who um, has the distribution rights to Coda. So they're technically the first streaming service to win a Best Picture. Oh, cool. Uh, So pretty pretty impressive stuff for basically like their first two (laughs) years on uh, the the big stage. You know, I I think, yeah, I think it was like two years ago that Apple TV Plus was rolled out. So pretty impressive stuff. other than that, you know, not not much. I I, I felt pretty disappointed with with the the entire uh, process, particularly because my my favorite movies weren't really, uh, you know, being considered that that heavily. So, mm. but I do want to talk about that maybe extended with with Juzo, um, sort of something something more in depth about maybe our favorite movies of the year. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, stay tuned for, for that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I have been only watching one other thing besides this movie, Cameron. I think you might be a little surprised by it. Uh, I am diving back into Game of Thrones. I'm five episodes into season two, which I had okay. watched the first season. Um, and actually, you know, Cameron and I always talk about we're big fans of um, Last Stand Media and some of the shows that Colin does. And he does a show with his brother and they went through season one and they were talking about it. And I was like, dang, that show was like pretty good. You know, like I was like, I was like, maybe I should try to give the second season a shot because the whole time they're talking about the first season, they're like, Oh, just wait, dude, just wait till like seasons two and three, you know? And so, um, I've started watching it really, really enjoyable. Like in terms of like the way that the show, um, I don't know, like just for me personally, like I love like the nerdy fantasy stuff and the fact that it's just kind of a political thriller on top of that. I'm like, wow, like I just yeah. I feel like these two things together is is really special. Um, and, totally. and uh, you know, I could do the fantasy alone. I don't usually watch the political thrillers by themselves. So the fact that they have like it can support each other. I'm I'm finding it it's really enjoyable. Um you know, I one of the reoccurring conversations Cameron and I have on this show is a conversation about like, um, I guess nudity in shows and movies, and Game of Thrones pretty notorious uh, for this stuff. I have to say, you know, the first season, there's this sense of like world building, and it's pretty like gross. You know, I would, I, I just, I, it's making you feel like the world's dirty, right? Um, yeah, and it's like, okay, I get that. With the second season, I'm finding the nudity to almost be comical. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's like it's like yeah. very like almost absurd where they're like in a war meeting and then someone will be like, you know what sounds good? It's time to take off Michael. I'm like, what is I'm like, am I watching like some cheap porno? Like what's <laughs> happening here? You know, um, so I really I don't know. Like I think when I think about nudity misused in in uh, film and media, I I feel like Game of Thrones kind of fits that trope pretty aggressively. The first season, I could kind of get it. This season, it seems really like like they're just like, oh, we got to up the ante for season two, you know, double the boobs per episode, you know? And I was like, all right, well, I don't know. It just doesn't seem as like, you know, the world's gritty and gnarly, but when they open the door and there's an old guy in the bed with... <laughs> <laughs> with a with a naked girl, I'm like, what is this, dude? You know, but uh, I mean, I I, I am enjoying I, it uh, still. You know, I'm. Uh, it's been a while since I watched the early seasons, but my impression was that season one was the, kind of where they had, um, you know, they had to like prove their HBO ness in a lot of sense, right? And then after that basically it kind of tapers off throughout the rest of the show so there's there's basically less and less as it as it goes along um but i and i think that was i think it, in the early seasons of game of thrones it was totally a um different era for hbo where it was kind of like it was uh, you know raunchier than cable tv basically it yeah. was trying to be uh, set apart itself from from cable tv so um you know, it's it's definitely one of the I would say maybe a flaw of the format, but I'm glad you're liking it because I think I think season two is pretty special. Um, basically, there you know, season two and three I think are the best of the show, and 
it really it really hits some some high highs i would say oh man dude um, i just binged three episodes before coming on this show so i'm like i'm yeah. definitely hooked you know i'm like yeah okay for sure for i sure. <laughs> and it's 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 also really fun to watch a tv show that has such a high budget i'm like notoriously mm-hmm. just yeah. irritated by tv and it is awesome to watch this series with not having to wait you know a week it feels like an epic right um and it totally and Although there are some, you could say filler content in in my eyes, right? Um, at least the start of season two has felt just packed, dude. With like whatever the heck's going on in the world, it's moving a thousand miles an hour, and so many characters to juggle. I'm just impressed that I can even remember half their names. Um, totally. And yeah, I don't know. Some and of it the- does it does it justice. I feel, and it it really fits the format of. TV so well like I, I think I think it was kind of the first time a lot of people considered TV maybe this isn't strictly true but it was the first time people considered it sort of a legitimate form of storytelling of such a scale if that makes sense yeah um, it's just where you know a movie wouldn't really do it justice yeah it's funny because I really like I don't know. I just don't really know what's going to happen, even though everybody like everybody's seen the show. So it's I'm surprised I've gone this long and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I totally understand why people love Peter Dinklage now. Like, this is like amazing. He is like a okay, fantastic wait, no. character. You <laughs> Before know? you say that, um, you know, Tim is just going to, to, to text you after this why? And, and spoil it for you because oh, he loves oh. to spoil things. <laughs> Well, now he's so, definitely going to do that. Tim, you better not. There's there's some important stuff going to happen in season three. Okay, that, well, uh, here, here's what I'm going to say. You need to not know. Here's what I'm going to say. All I ever hear when people talk about Game of Thrones, like the OMG moments, like a lot of people talk about the Red Wedding. And so I'm going to say this. I literally have no idea what that means. So I'm in oh for a treat. Oh my gosh, don't say that, I'm Isaac. You're going to get right? spoiled. <laughs> Tim Smith Anyways, uh, is going to... <laughs> Yeah, this this show is about <laughs> movies. Uh, if you want to support us, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars our way. Give us support. We have bonus content for people that support us at the dollar level, but we're not committing to doing it consistently. Although it sounds like you might be getting a uh, special show with Juzo soon, right? What was that, Cameron? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, we want to do like a best of the year um, retrospect. Our own Oscars, if you will. Ooh. What are you gonna name your award show, Cameron, for this podcast? You gotta, you gotta do some the Tuttles. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you hand out turtles on a golden statue or something? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can we'll we'll mail them to the producers. (laughs) (laughs) Just gonna be like, what is this? It's like. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you can support us at, at the dollar level. There's a couple other benefits, all good stuff. Um, you can be a producer like Darren O'Neill, who always gets shouted out at the end of the show and we shout him out sometimes and make fun of him as well. So if you want to be made fun of on the show, you can be a producer. Um, if you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. You can tell friends and family, give us a rating on iTunes. Seriously, the ratings on iTunes, they help so much. So if you listen to the show and you enjoy it, please give us a rating that helps so much. Uh, and I guess Cameron, it's time to talk about Jarhead. What a I I basically didn't know anything about this movie going in, but give a little context on what we're doing this month and why we're watching this film. Yeah, so um, Jarhead is a psychological study of uh, a Marine's state of mind during the Gulf War. Um, it takes place, you know, obviously during the uh, during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. 
um, and kind of balances the struggles of waiting around um, and, you know, basically the hurry up and wait mentality of the Marines. Um, so uh, it is directed by Sam Mendes, as I said, who um, in my mind is is kind of an underrated. He's like a dark horse director in a lot of ways. Um, I think he's extremely talented, uh, pretty, pretty early in his career as a, as a director, but, um, you know, he made, uh, he directed American Beauty in 99 and then Jarhead, Skyfall, um, and his last movie was, was 1917. So a pretty stacked list in my mind. I, I think all of those, uh, I haven't seen Spectre, which is another one of his, his movies, but, um, uh, you know, in my mind, that's that's you know that's pretty high bar to 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 hit uh, for for a pretty young, uh, early in the career director. He is English, um, so you know that's something of note. I think almost all of those movies are pretty English heavy, except for American Beauty and and Jarhead. But um, yeah, so so he and uh, Roger Deakins, obviously very closely tied connected uh in i think most of his movies i don't i don't remember who shot american beauty but i, I don't think it was deacons um but uh you know pretty much all of his movies were were, were shot by deacons um uh, so they have a, a close connection and 1917 which we might visit um you know uh, deacons got the best cinematography oscar for for that so um it's also a war movie, but has a very distinctive look and feel much different than this, I would say. Um, this came out in 2005, so kind of right at the height of the Iraq-Afghanistan war. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's it's definitely a commentary on that. It's kind of looking backwards to make a comment about the now um, or at that time, you know, what, what was happening. So... I think that's kind of my major introduction. Um, I definitely, so this was the first time that I was watching it. Um, I, I hadn't seen this movie before, so it was an interesting, uh, I, I, right now I'm trying to actually explore Deacon's movies that I haven't seen. Cause I think the ones that we have seen, we, we pretty much have seen a lot of Deacon's movies together. Um, you know, me and you, Isaac. So, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was explore his visual style that I wasn't as familiar with. And I would say, just like 1984, this is a movie that has kind of left a, a legacy in terms of how things are thought of visually in terms of modern war. Um, the modern, the the element of of sort of modern combat and the desolation, a lot of the very, very, uh, like the desert looks so interesting and unique in this movie, um, in a way that is often imitated, but never really, uh, succeeds, <laughs> I don't think. Um, and then in, at the same time, I think Deacons has, has, uh, he has a, a language in terms of, of how he shows things on screen, um, that war movies I think are still doing to this day. And, and they kind of, they definitely take from, uh, the Vietnam era 
of war movies. Um, but I think now, you know, it's a language that is that is pretty pioneered in the modern day by by Deacon. So um, I want to get your thoughts on that. But first, I mean, what did you think of the movie just in general? Yeah, Jarhead is sort of an interesting approach to exploring a war film. It's very focused, like you're saying, on um, the soldier's psychology. I don't know. This this movie, like, on paper, and I guess we should probably disclose some spoilers, right? Because I think kind of yeah. the the result, the end, the ending of the film makes you really consider sort of the way that it's done from the beginning. Right. Uh, at least uh, the storyline for me. Right. Um, I felt like this movie on paper, I really enjoyed the like mechanical concept, right. The, the, I'm trying to say it without spoiling it. Right. Where it's like all this training, to go into a war that is fairly short and not much happens and what that does to someone like it, yeah. it, 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 it tackles that subject um, effectively with the plot and it has a lot to say about that. Um, I found some of the commentary uh, to be pretty one sided Um you know, and I was kind of surprised that I noticed that. I usually don't really pick up on those those things in war movies. You know, I've never like I've I've kind of noticed like political commentary or little nudges here and there, but this movie clearly has like a side that it takes, um, in, in some regard around like there were there were a couple scenes I think um, for me that were like oh, this movie like has an opinion and it's very like it's, it's very black and white, which I found to be a little bit like surprising when it, when it showed those cards, the one scene is when they're in training and there's an injury that happens. Um, I almost found it like, I don't know if the scene, like the scene is, is kind of intense, but it seemed a little like, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just Jamie Foxx, who I think is great in this movie, actually. Probably the best I've seen him yeah, act in a movie. I agree. Um, I agree. But, like, it just seemed a little, like, uh, it, it, like too silly. You know, I don't know what it was about that scene that didn't really work for me. Um, and then there's another scene um, later when they're watching, like, Vietnam movies and, like, all the Marines are like, yes, kill, kill, blow up all these people. I'm like, am I watching Star Tri- Starship Troopers here or something <laughs> like that? You know, like there was a couple moments like that in this film where I was like, like, it's, it's, it's good. You know, like people should be able to express their um, opinions and thoughts, uh, of course, on reflection as well. I found that the movie's ending was more ambiguous and, and gray, right? Where it's like, oh, like what is... What is the point of this? But even in some of Jake Gyllenhaal's monologues at the end, I was like, what are they even saying? You know, like, like, like he was like, war changes. War is always the same. I'm like, what? Like, like I just, I found some of the, the messaging or something overall to be a little, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, but it's like, it's almost a little full of itself in some moments. Well, I would say um, 
okay, what one thing about war movies that is uh always the case and it's true even if I really l- love the movie or if I think it's it's bad. Um war movies are always uh propagandistic. Um, hmm. and, and one way and and it it's propagandistic in the uh, pro-war side or the anti-war side. Right. Uh, so right. It, it always it always exists on that binary. Um, and and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie um, that that splits the difference, if if you will, or does a good job of of being true to life without being um, you know, propagandistic. So I, I know what, I understand what you're saying. There's, there's a, there's an element of, of this to be where it, it feels a little generic war movie, uh, propaganda, not in the pro-war movie, you know, sense, but in the, in the sort of, yeah, war is hell, you know, kind right, of sense right. where, where it's like, it's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We, we all understand that. But I, I would say this movie does a good job, you know, putting that aside, this movie does a very good job in, uh, illustrating certain things that that I think are maybe unique to this conflict about sort of not just the you know the the war is hell aspect of it, but the war is futility aspect. Um, and I think that's something that's pretty unique that that I haven't seen before. Um, where you know it's basically it's basically a movie about waiting to be told what to do and then being told you, they can't do it essentially. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so I, I thought that was, that was very good, but, but you're right in some ways that, um, there's a, there's a little bit of, um, you know, classic sort of, uh, just very generic, um, anti-war messaging throughout the movie, um, and, which is totally fine. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't I, like, there's nothing wrong with being, Anti-war. I think I've seen movies that I really enjoyed and respected that held that position. I one I'm thinking of is like, I mean, Full Metal Jacket. To me, it's like, it's fantastic. I mean, I I watch that movie and I'm like, this is. I mean, it's saying something really important, you know. But it's also like, I I don't know. Like I walked away from it. But even 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 Full Metal Jacket has the same sort of, um a very similar sequence of events that this does, right? It's very, it's very much the same message of, of this movie. Um, but that's a different conflict. And I, I think that's actually kind of the point of this movie, but that's what I'm um, the point of the line that you're saying where, where, you know, he says war changes, but war is always the same. You know, that's kind of what this movie is about in some ways that war movies change, uh, you know, what, what war they are, but, but at the at its fundamental level, war movies are all the same, basically. So, yeah, I mean, I think what I was trying to say with that is that, like, for some reason, full ja- Full Metal Jacket, like, it was more pleasant or didn't irritate me in the same way that the way this movie did. Kind of, uh, does that make sense? What I'm saying, like, <laughs> I don't know about pleasant, but <laughs> I, I, I I don't know how to explain it. There were something. I, I, there was something about this yeah. film that I noticed some of that propaganda because it was less, I think it was tackled a little less um, elegantly. That's probably the best way. Yeah, that's the best probably. Way I mean, you know, Kubrick is is Kubrick. So, you know, what are you, you going to do about that? But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It, 
what one interesting thing you talk about the uh the the ride of the valkyrie sequence in this um kind of just a fun easter egg this movie was um edited by walter murch um kind of a classic uh editor in in hollywood and uh Apocalypse Now was also edited by Walter Murch. Mm. So um, he 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 edited those two sequences together that mean very different things in in these movies. Right, um, right. And uh, I I found that to be very interesting. I actually we we saw, me and Jesus saw uh, Apocalypse Now um, in in Berkeley for an anniversary or something uh, and Walter Murch was there and so they played that sequence of the Marines watching um the ride ride of the valkyries and and he talked a little bit about that um that decision of how to edit this differently now that it's a, a completely new meaning completely completely different sequence basically mm. so um, very cool yeah very very interesting um interesting little little tidbit there yeah no most definitely yeah so i mean those initial thoughts aside, I found myself on reflection on this movie. I I liked it. I liked it a lot. I um. I think like initially I was kind of like ebbing and flowing. Like, do I? What? How do I feel about this film? It's kind of um. I don't know. Like you feel that tension that the Marines feel where they're trying to. You want to see like that payoff, and the movie intentionally never gives you that and the more i've thought about that in this movie the more i'm like wow like that's very different right that's very special that this movie um did that and i and i have to i have to agree with you cameron deacon's his work in this movie is incredible and it only gets better towards the end of this movie with some of the most beautiful cinematography i've seen in a film um and the thing that I really, I really kept like thinking about when watching it, because I watched this movie with Jules, which was a hilarious experience because she hates <laughs> war movies. And the entire yeah. time she's thinking something terrible is gonna happen and nothing happens sure, in this sure. movie, right? So <laughs> like it's it's uh That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was really funny to watch this film because I was like, oh, I'm sure so I kept telling her, I was like, Oh, I'm sure someone's gonna get their head blown off any second right now, <laughs> you know, and nothing happens in this movie, right? Um but yeah, the uh, I, I told her early on, I said, like, the composition, the way that the camera is is moving and pulling focus, like, it's perfect. It's actually perfect. And I told her, I said, you know what? Like, no one's going to notice it at the beginning of this film. Like, I was like, I notice it. But nobody else would notice it. And it took me a second, too, because I was like, why are we watching this movie again? And I was like, oh, yeah, like. Uh, we're seeing it for Deacon, so I start to pay attention a little bit to the cinematography. I'm like, oh, it's it's amazing. But then towards the last third of the movie, it's like you better notice it, you know? Like, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's it, he ratchets he ratchets it up, and um, because we're talking about cinematography, Cameron. Like, let's just get into some of these shots. Usually we do shot of the film at the end, but like I just hands down for me, the shot is like when. Jake Gyllenhaal sits down uh, amongst those like burn victims or whatever. Like what mm. an incredible framing. Like there's like this, this moment where he is walking across like a terrible like bombing area where these corpses are basically like 
you know, fossilized or whatever. Um, and he like sits on this bench and the way it's like framed is like, he's on the sort of the more of the right side of the screen. Um, there's like more white around Gyllenhaal and he kind of like slumps in a depression and he's surrounded by these dark charred victims. And it's just like, Oh my gosh. And, like, and it's, and it's, his it's, white, his, his white footsteps right. walking into yes. the, uh, to, to the frame leading lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a spectacular moment. Um, not just a spectacular moment, but, but also, um, a very, a very Deacon's moment in a lot of ways. Um, it has the elements of that in, very interesting blocking kind of from a, from almost a high up craned camera, um, to sort of a, a wide shot where there's these different elements in the, in the foreground and background, um, that leads you directly sort of as a line through the frame. I mean, it's, it's so, um, it's so classically like, it's like painterly yeah, in a lot of ways. And and I think that's, that's like the best way to describe Deacon's, um, the way that he, he, uh, shoots is, is he, it's, he's making, uh, paintings in the way that he chooses his, his, you know, his lights, uh, the way that he, he, you know, positions people in the foreground and background. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just immaculate in this movie. And, there's so many moments of where where the staging is like is breathtaking. Like I think about that moment where the the camera kind of spins around Jamie Foxx as he's he's like taking a sip from his canteen. Right. You know what right, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, and yeah. and there's the burn, the oil wells in the background. And, you know, everybody's digging behind him. And it's like, wow, the, like what a what a what a breathtaking sort of moment and so um so visually distinct that it it i don't know it feels it so in a lot of ways um when i think of deacon's cinematography um and this is kind of hard because because he's he's so well known for doing different things um and not kind of using the same shots and and sort of having a distinctive style like a lot of other cinematographers will do um he's very dependent on the director i think uh to cr- come up with some of the visual language for the movie so in some ways i give him credit because he's not trying to be that flashy he's not trying to be that that like distinctive punch you in the face kind of cinematographer um but for me what i always take from his movies are those beautiful silhouette shots that he does. And he does it in almost every movie. Um, he did it in 1984. There's a couple shots where he's, you know, behind, uh, the characters looking outside, uh, into the, the field. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, where they're silhouetted in front and, and they're out looking onto the rolling Hills. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're kind of standing in the doorway um, and then in this movie, you know, he does it several times uh, with the with the burn pits, um, kind of them being like glowing against the background um, of of the burn pits. And then um, uh, there's another there's another silhouette moment I think as the sun is going down. Um, uh, you've seen Sicario, right? Yes. Um, 
that another classic moment in Sicario is when they they're going to infiltrate the underground base um and they have like the night vision and it's mm. like it's the the silhouettes of them and then just like the very edge of the sunset um like falling off uh do you remember that that shot i don't know it's I been like it's all been a while them. it's been a while since i've seen sicario but i yeah um well, and you know, people who who remember will will know, but that well, that's what I think of. The only reason I don't want to say yes is because I was doing this video project where we're using stock footage, and they recreated something that sounds just like that shot, and it, uh, <laughs> it's like with, literally with like military outfitted people, right? And then the sun's going yeah. down, and they're like silhouetted, right? So I'm like, I know what you're talking about, but I think I've been on <laughs> artgrid.io too long, you know? I've I, I just been working and working with that too much. So I mean, um yeah. No, no, no. I I believe you hundred percent. Yeah. I gotta watch Sicario again. That's it's been a while since I've seen that. And another another shot that really reminds me actually of of Blade Runner, uh, funny enough. Is the the moment where they're they're standing they're walking back from from their sniper den, um, it's like at the very end of the movie um, before they get to the party, and they're walking through the dunes of of the sand, and the light is like is like moving it's like shimmering through the sand dunes and it's nighttime, and they're kind of draped against the background. Um, it's so beautiful, like it's it's stunning. Um, so uh, to me, Deacons is like very interesting foreground, background lighting. So either, you know, silhouettes or that kind of thing. And and these immaculate wide shots that that sort of you lose your your uh, your main subject in this sea of beautiful light. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of distinctive of of what he does. Um, in my mind yeah i think this movie can be enjoyed just through the cinematography exploration you know i i found that some of the choices creatively i was like this is really i I was at first kind of off put i mean you talked about the desert a little bit and for me this film i was like why is everything like overexposed like we're we're at we're at world's end, you know. Like this desert is like Pirates of the Caribbean three, you know. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's it's pretty, it's it's strange because in Pirates of the Caribbean three, like it's white, but it focuses. You know what I mean? Like the light kind of settles at moments. This movie, the light is always too bright. Do you know what I mean? Like throughout yeah, everything totally. in the desert, and they pair that with like the heat waves. So there's like distortion um, happening as you're trying to focus on what's in front of you, right? The Marines walking. Um, And it never feels like the cameras like ISO adjust correctly, right? If it was on auto ISO, like, you know, it would like a DSLR would darken itself all the way, like so that you could see stuff normally. But this movie intentionally um, retains that overexposed work and, and, over overexposed light and it works with it in the context of the framing and the way that the desert um is portrayed like with these marines i don't know I, the longer it was going on the more i was like oh this is really it makes it feel um 
like another planet that they're on. You know, they're really they're really isolated. It feels like almost science fiction in some kind of way. Totally. And and it feels brutal. Yes. Yeah. Like you just look at it and you're like, wow, I'm already sunburned. Like right. just looking and that sequence where they're um, they're waiting, the sort of desert shield um, sequence where they're kind of they're all, you know, we're we're throwing grenades at nothing, you know, and, uh, you know, they're all they're all sort of painted against the background. Um, it, the funny thing is it's it's not it's not quite overexposed, but it definitely feels that way. Yeah. And I think part of it is like pushed uh, intentionally and the sky is just like white. It's not yeah. like, it's not blue. It's not, you know, anything. It's just white. And um, that is again, so one, you know, one of the f- things that makes it feel so like brutal and oppressive. Um, you know, what's funny about that, you know, all of the desert sequences, um, they're shot in California. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I kind of figured it was going to be like there are sections on the outskirts of Los Angeles that are very desert-esque, right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But like if, if it's cranked in lighting, right, like there's almost no way to really ever focus on what's behind or in front of them. You know, you, you think about a scene like for the beginning of Iron Man 1. And you can believe that that is outside Los Angeles, you know, uh, that, that looks like it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, in California, right? This movie, you can't really ever pin like where you are and what it looks unlike anything you've seen, um, which I, I, I mean, I kind of figured that they didn't go anywhere because you almost can never focus on the background because everything's too bright, you know? Um, yeah. It almost makes it feel like afterlife-ish. There's just something very hmm. um, interesting. There's something that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. When I think about a desert movie or a war movie, um, sadly, the thing that pops in my head is Transformers One and their scorpion <laughs> battle in the desert <laughs> with those Michael, the Michael Bay Marines <laughs> fighting the scorpion. But like the 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 the, um, the scenery <laughs> in that movie is very gold, extremely blue sky. Lots of palm trees, right? It's like, um, it it feels uh, hyper, like, like it feels like a Disneyland rendition of of fighting in the Middle East, right? Um, and yeah, this this movie, the the colors are really, um, I, I don't know, it's it, it feels kind of desaturated. Uh, until totally, you know yeah. the the dark uh, nighttime with the oil and stuff, where it's like burning red, right? Um, but well, w- one of the things that you'll so um, I, obviously probably neither of us are too familiar with um, with the Gulf War all that much. I mean, it wasn't really in pop culture when we were growing up. It was you know a little bit before we were born, so. Uh, one of the things that you'll find if you ever go back and look at pictures is it looks exactly like this movie, mm. <laughs> like exactly like this movie. Um, you know, maybe some of the, the cameras, you know, capture the blue sky a little bit, but you know, basically all of it was like white sand, white sky and smoke. You know, that's, that's basically all of the pictures that you'll, you'll find. Um, and it looks extremely oppressive you know so hot so 
um, dusty and terrible. And, and so I think this movie, you know, just from kind of what I know about, about desert storm, which is not that much. Um, I think it captures the, if, if not the, you know, the look perfectly, it captures the, the total essence of what it would feel like or what, what it, what it must have been like to, to be in the desert. Um, so I, I think, I think it does a, such a, such a great job of portraying it as this like complete wasteland and, and a place that you would never, ever want to want to be in. And I love that you said, I think you're right on the money with um, saying it's like it's it feels like the afterlife mm-hmm. um, because I think it's supposed to feel like purgatory. Like, I think that's, yeah. that's the entire point. Um, and it totally does. The the fact that there's there's no there's basically no difference between the color of the sand and the color of the sky, like that seems like purgatory to me. I don't know. Like that's, that's, that's kind of the image that I get. And then there's the red of, of, of hell, um, Mm. in in the later portions of the movie. So, um, I think that's totally right. I think that's, that's probably what they're, what they were going for in a lot of ways. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about like the, um, I don't know. Like there were there were a few things I was thinking about with this film. I think modern military movies make me recollect my earliest impression of the of of that in media, um, and so that's why I brought up Transformers because when I was a middle school kid, I saw like that was one of the first like modern military movies I had watched. Right, and so I I don't know like to see, to compare that to this is drastically different. And the other thing I was thinking a lot about was uh Call of Duty a lot in this in this movie. And um Call of Duty was made Modern Warfare was released in 2007. This movie was released in 2004 or 5, right? <laughs> 2005. Yeah, 2005. Um so obviously there's a lot of influence from this movie, I think, in in Modern <laughs> Warfare. Specifically, some of the work in the score. There's a there's a moment where they're rolling out the tanks and the Humvees. The combat is beginning, and the music is very. Um, I don't know, like it just feels like it was pulled straight out of the Modern Warfare um, score. And I, and the other thing about the original Modern Warfare that was released is that it adopted an extremely drab, gray, desaturated color look. Um, that I think, I don't know, I guess some people could could blame the graphics, but it retained that for a long time. Um, and I think, obviously, Hollywood stylized a lot of what those games pulled from. But the other reason I was thinking about Call of Duty is because of the highway scene and the 2019 release of Modern Warfare, um, I guess, echoed or somehow uh, misinterpreted or rewrote a section of history around the highway of death. Um, which I think isn't that what is trying to be represented in this film. Uh, I'm I'm honestly not sure. I, I I don't know. Anyways, the Highway of Death um, debacle of 2019's release. Uh, it got Modern Warfare banned in Russia because of basically um, <laughs> this highway that was bombed with a ton of civilian cars and and things like that. Right, like uh, it's it's one of the stains on the United States military. Um, and it 
was shown in Modern Warfare that the Russians did that. <laughs> so that's why that game is banned in Russia um, instead of the Americans that did it. So I don't know. I, it, it was also like a light bulb thing where I was thinking about Call of Duty a couple times in this movie. Um, not that it's really all that important, but it was... To me, I found it interesting how this movie was before all of that stuff, right? It was before Modern Warfare's release. It was before... Um, it, it feels like one of the first films to really tackle uh, the like the anti-war conversation, the state of the soldiers and their humanity, right? Um, when it's really not too far from the events of what happened in the 90s, right? Uh, it, it feels like it, it jumped onto that pretty early on. 2005, I can't, I don't know. I can't think of another modern military movie that was before that, right? Uh, well, Black Hawk Down, I think. Um, well, I, I haven't seen that, so. Uh, yeah, me yeah, neither. Sure. I haven't seen that. 2001. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely were movies around the same time, uh, but I, I definitely feel like the wave of, uh, like, Gulf War, Iraq War movies came kind of in the, like, late 2000s, early 2010s, um, and, yeah, you definitely got a lot of, um, you got a lot more commentary about modern warfare back then. And I would say in the 90s, you know, you you get a lot of the World War II retrospectives, um, which is kind of interesting because yeah. in the 70s and the 80s, right, that's when you get like late 70s, early 80s. Um, that's when you get, uh, you know, things like Apocalypse Now, um, you, you get Full Metal Jacket. So you get the the sort of Vietnam retrospective movies um, that are honestly looking at it very contemporary with Vietnam. Um, and in the same way, I think you get that here with with Jarhead and with, you know, the Iraq War. Um, I feel like it's, you know, even though it's talking about a different war, it's very much talking about the Iraq War. Um, and so, so I, I feel like, I feel like this kind of spawned a little bit of a wave of the very similar types of war movies that are focused on modern warfare, futility, um, sort of, you know, yeah, like the, the very oppressive desert um, settings. And, and they're very different from uh, when you think about maybe the Spielbergian war movies of the 90s, um, very different feelings very different motives in a lot of ways um you know uh, saving private ryan is as much a heroic war movie <laughs> as this is a you know very anti-war movie right um, if that makes sense so um you know not to say that that saving private ryan doesn't have anti-war messages but it very much feels like a uh a movie that um, is triumphant if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely tackling different themes. I I, I would say um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just the the more I thought about this film, the more my respect grew for the craftsmanship, and honestly, the more I thought about like how I feel like it's a little bit of a trendsetter. Um, and I yeah am surprised how. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this movie because I think it does have a lot to offer, but it is kind of, I don't know. I don't know. For, I, 
I don't know. To me, it's kind of forgotten compared to the Hurt Locker or Black Hawk Down, um, where it's like those. I, are, I totally agree. Those are the movies that people talk about when you think of like those modern uh, military conflict films, right? Um, yeah, and and the other thing about it is that Jarhead has like what, like I think three or four sequels. Did you know this, Cameron? Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got terrible direct to DVD sequels. Yeah, what's up with um, that? I, I was so confused about this. They came, I, was, I, so the 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 Jarhead two came out in twenty fourteen. Yeah, it's obviously like a Universal thing. Um, it, Universal Studios, like it's 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 obviously them, you know, trying to uh, bank on the. On, on the name of the movie, but in some ways, I, it's obviously not with the same spirit <laughs> of this movie and has no endorsement with, with Mendez. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say those have any reflection of, of this movie at all. So looks like it. Has, um, okay. Maybe it has two sequels, but for some reason, no, I think it has three. I think it has three on my Amazon um, there's Jarhead two and three. And then there's Jarhead, uh, uh, law of return in 2019. <laughs> oh yes. See Cameron, I think we should watch Jarhead law of return. Next no, week. I, we have to rent that. That's a, that would be a big no for me. <laughs> I did rent yeah. this movie because I didn't want to watch with the ads. So. I watched it with the ads and I got to tell you when Sandra Bullock showed up, um, for a, an ad for the heat, I was really confused because she was also in a modern <laughs> military setting. <laughs> in that, in that scene, I was like, what the heck? And then, oh, it's an ad, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, f- I really don't feel like I have too much more to say about this movie besides, like, I don't know, like, what you're talking about with Deacons and what we're going through this month, this is undoubtedly, like, some of just some of his work that's incredible. And he always is like, he's always incredible. Right. Yeah. Um, but I love what you're saying about how he approaches working with a director to create a painting that is in their creative vision. Right. It's in there. It's, it's what they need. Right. And then he, he very subtly puts his own touch and flavor into it. And I think that's probably why it's really difficult to, um, love and respect and follow cinematographers is because probably the best ones are so aware of what the director wants to see, right? Yeah. Or so aware of yeah, what the director yeah. is trying to create. Uh, so I think it is just a testament not only to his skill, but his ability to infuse his own personality with his cinematography is like, man, like you just can't, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know any other cinematographers besides um, Deacons. He's the only one I hear about, right? <laughs> Uh, and, and that's just from basically you and Juzo, right? No one else I know talks about cinematographers, right? Uh, when they, when they work on movies, unless you're really following film, but I would, I would assume that Deacons probably has the name that maybe even a casual might recognize. Right. So I think, yeah, I think so. I think think maybe Lubezki is kind of the same way, but, um, maybe more so like five years ago, but I've never um, heard that name in my life, Cameron. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's my point though. Right. Um, and he didn't earn his name for nothing. This film is, I think just stunning. 
And when I noticed, like early on when I was like, oh, this movie's stunning, it was almost like the film was like, wait, you haven't seen anything yet, right? And it just keeps it <laughs> yeah, keeps going. Yeah. It keeps getting better. So, you know, this is kind of a side topic, Cameron. And I don't want to derail our conversation. So maybe let's finish up on Jarhead and then I want to bring up something else about cinematography. That's okay. all, just, just a side talk. It's not really all that important. But do you want to say anything else about Jarhead? Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't have that much else to say. I, I feel like um, I agree that I, I really I really did enjoy this movie. I think um, it has so many of the hallmarks, like you're saying, of being a, like an, an underdog classic, um, kind of a dark horse in a lot of ways. Um, no pun intended because of that sequence where the horse comes out in the oil field. But uh, <laughs> um, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. I just yeah. I I don't know. I was just making snarky comments about symbolism in Hollywood when that showed up. I don't I don't even know <laughs> what it really meant. I was like, oh look, a horse covered in oil. We should stop the icebergs from melting or something. Like I was just <laughs> I don't know what I I didn't I wasn't no, taking I, it too no, seriously. No, I know. I think moment. it's just a really tender moment. Oh, it's beautiful uh, of the it's movie. Beautiful. But um, yeah. it, uh, anyways, um, I think this movie has has like you're saying. Uh, it's kind of an underrated classic and um, has a lot to say um, in terms of just its visual style. And I think you're right. It is a trendsetter um, for better or for worse. I think like I, like I mentioned in the beginning, like it's a movie that has been imitated a lot and always, you know, the imitators fall short of what makes this movie special. Um, and I think partially that's because this had some sort of, it had a lot of creative will going towards what makes, you know, the, the visuals so spectacular. And, and if you kind of just throw the, the very muted color scheme at a project because like, oh, that's what like this is supposed to look like. Um, I think you're missing the point of what makes this movie so, um, uh, beautiful to look at, um, I think the one thing that I'll say uh, also about Deegan's, and I think it comes so clear through his choices um, visually in this movie, is that he first and foremost is a storyteller, um, not a writer, not someone who's you know putting down score, stories to to words, but he's showing through um, through his visuals, and I think he cares about that the most, and that's why he lets the directors, I think, in a lot of ways set the tone for for the visuals of the movie um and without that you you do get this mess of sort of the gross uh gray scale like uh desaturated look uh you know desert look of a lot of modern movies um and with this the reason he's doing it is because it's it's meaningful to these characters um and it's 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 h- harsh and bright and desaturated for a purpose, and that's kind of his his entire point. So uh, I think I think in my mind um, he's brilliant because he tells the stories through through pictures, and he's able to to elevate something to to the next level just by how he he shows um, you know very simple sequences. So. Um, yeah, that's that's why he's 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 a genius. So great. Yeah. No, I mean, watch Jarhead if you haven't seen it. Um, and the only the only last few things I want to say about this film 
um, is that I think a lot of the acting is amazing. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is super good in this role. Um, they lay it out pretty early on why they seem a little less, not a little less human, but like the whole idea of the title Jarhead, right? Where they're like very stripped out from the, they're, they're kind of very bro-y, um, Marine guys. And that's obviously something the movie is commentating on, but, um, even with that, you know, kind of empty mind, uh, the Marines still carry themselves with a lot of personality while yeah. maintaining um, that that idea that they have been trained and conditioned for their environment, um, but they don't know what to do with themselves in the waiting. So, um, yeah, again, haven't seen Jamie Foxx so good in a movie, too. Agree. He, um, he kills it. I want to see Jamie Foxx in more military movies. He is awesome. <laughs> like, he's really good in this movie. Um I loved him in Baby Driver, but that's because it was he was just being Jamie Foxx, you know. I don't know, <laughs> you know. And to, to we don't want to talk about Spider Man, you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 cool to see him in a role that it feels like he's giving his all, and it fits with his persona too. Um, I don't know. It, it was really cool to see him to see him in this role. Well, he's he's just coming off of Ray uh, after the. Uh, so Ray, I think he won an Oscar for it or he was nominated or something. Um, so he plays Ray Charles, um, mm. in 2004. Uh, so, you know, kind of, kind of, this was like, I would say peak Jamie Foxx acting, uh, trying, <laughs> if He's, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm waiting. Look, we got to wait for Jamie Foxx's documentary. He's, de- he does a lot of stuff. Well, he know? was definitely, I mean, he was in the, uh, the Kanye doc, so <laughs> I know, yeah. That's uh, pretty pretty funny. Um Yeah. Yeah. So some great acting. Obviously there are more um actors in this film that are awesome too, but those to me those were the standouts. Um of course. Yeah. So here's here's where I want to kind of pivot, Cameron, if we're if we're done talking about Jarhead. All right. Uh and we don't have to go too long on this, but it's just on my mind, right? And I'm it's we're done talking about this movie. So if you're, if that's all you came here for, you don't have to hear this little bonus topic. Cause I'm not sure how long it's going to go. It could be two seconds or, you know, a lot longer. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going, I'm going, I'm just going here. Cause this is where my mind is right now. So I've been watching game of Thrones, right? This looks like a TV show. All right. It might be a high budget TV show. There's a great set design, incredible world building, but the cinematography in game of Thrones is very like, I don't know what it is, but it just looks like TV to me. Um, maybe it's mm-hmm. the super huge aspect ratio that makes me feel like I'm watching something on TNT. Um, but that's how it feels to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. So it could be the aspect ratio. And maybe I'm just wrong or I'm missing something. But when when are we going to see the cinematographers of TV really like take it to the next level or start to make make a name for themselves in TV. I know that, you know, a couple shows that I can think of that are modern and stylistic are, I would say, Stranger Things. I watched The Queen's Gambit, which I thought was pretty uh, interestingly shot with the way that she kind of trips out and things like that because um, there's, you know, drug use. And I've watched a little bit of Ozark, which has a very um, special look to it, I think. Um, 
But I don't I don't know, Cameron. Like, do 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 cinematographers have an opportunity with TV, or should they stick to kind of the big <laughs> screen? You know, like that. That's I'm like, is there space for them so, in TV? Okay, well, I'll just say um, a couple things. So, Game of Thrones, I I I know where you're coming from in a lot of ways. It is a very um, plain sci-fi look and the cinematography is not i would not say is like its specialty um but like i'll just be clear let's not discount the the whole of tv as being like you know creatively bankrupt in this in this field because because in my mind what i think of as the best looking tv show probably of all time is breaking bad Uh, michael slovis shot that um, and, uh, I know you haven't seen it, but it is some of the most unique, interesting, um, dynamic, um, and almost like, uh, almost like overly, um, uh, it co- like, it totally calls attention to itself in a way that TV like never does. Right. right. Uh, so, so I'll, I'll say that that is totally an example of a show that, um, that uses camera work uses perspective um to to totally make you like if it it feels like it's it's in a different universe of of tv um so yeah so i'll i'll put that out there and then i'll also say hbo has has definitely gotten a lot better um about distinguishing themselves not just in terms of sort of the content that they that they end up you know, showing. They also have been really trying to get more artists involved and more people who are who are genuinely like pushing the craft. Um, you know, I I think of True Detective when I when I think about this. Um, that you know, I uh, that came out around the same time that um, that Game of Thrones did, but um, twenty fourteen I think. So, um, True Detective I think is like just immaculate looking. Um, and I think it really does depend on what kind of thing you're watching. I think Game of Thrones was made off of the old school style of HBO, um, like the Spartacus era and uh, the uh, I forget the other. There was like another sort of fantasy ish TV show that they had um, where it's very it's very plain and and, you know, shot for coverage. But partially because they're putting the budget into other aspects of the TV show. Yeah. Not really so much the cre- the creativity or the the craftsmanship, more so the the production, more so the the sort of design of the of the the world and whatnot. Um and in some ways that's kind of where you want them to put the budget, uh if that makes sense. Like you you definitely want to watch something that is more um you know, the costumes are dialed in and the sets are dialed in and it feels real and it feels sort of um you know like it's taking you to a different world as opposed to and then being shot for coverage as opposed to you know the opposite if that makes sense so i give personally i give game of thrones a little bit of a pass because um they are they're putting a lot of effort into making the show um look spectacular in other ways and not so much in 
sort of how unique they shoot it. And they're they're really being economical on how they shoot it. Uh yeah, I'm um, not I'm not I'm not saying that it's um I'm not trying to discredit it. It seems more often than not that TV can be a little less attentive to cinematography um in the process of making TV and to watch this movie in between me revisiting or or beginning to watch season two of Game of Thrones, right? Like it was extremely noticeable where I'm like, whoa, like this is like very, very like just, you know, another head in the corner of the frame again as we cut I, back and forth to them. I talking. think it really is just just budget uh, situations, right? Sure, the, sure. And you think about the the way that they shoot a TV show, right? They're in a in a episode, you know, in a ten episode season, they're shooting. Uh, you know, that's going to be like a hundred hours of content almost, or, um, or, you know, uh, 10 episodes, um, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's like, or no, sorry, not a hundred hours. It's going to be like 10 hours of, of content, uh, which is like, uh, like five movies basically. Um, so the way that they have to shoot it is, um, keeping that in mind and reusing, shots reusing sets um being budget oriented in in sort of how economical they they shoot so um i think that's really the concern it's 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 not that um and and then when you look at things like like did you watch chernobyl um no no i mean i'm i'm kind of open i'm asking it more open-ended cameron because it's like it's interesting to hear the cons the 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 um the knowledge that you have around like the way they approach filming TV versus movies. But I know that like we've talked in the past a lot about like how TV continues to like raise the bar almost to catch up with some yeah. of the the level of excellence, craftsmanship and and artistry that that movies have, right? So I'm I'm just like it's it's interesting to hear you talk about like Breaking Bad, which I haven't I have not watched, so I wouldn't know what it looks like at all. Um, but even, even so, like, you know, na- I'm naming a couple other TV shows. I'm like, those looked more creative. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on it just being into cinematography and stuff. So, yeah. Well, when, when you look at like a mini series, for example, um, it's much easier to, to make something that looks distinctive and looks, um, like a movie basically because the budget is there for it. Um, and you don't have to worry about if you're going to get picked up next season or if you, you know, whatever else, um, game of Thrones ran into this issue in in the later seasons. I'm not going to spoil anything necessarily, but well, you know, uh, after season one, you know, that there's dragons that are involved in the rest of the movie. So, or rest of the show. So, um, Uh, yeah, I would have dragons. I would have preferred that they just use claymation for the dragons, you know? (laughs) Uh, but but the the the, there's major budgetary concerns about the dragons in the later seasons Mm. as they sort of grow older um and what you start to find is the episodes are really kind of geared in a lot of ways towards the big set pieces right right so um not to sort of taint your your thoughts about the later seasons but no but no, that no. is that is again a, a a serious concern where even though game of thrones has like an insane budget by the end 
um, it's using a lot of it on on VFX because it has to. So right. um, it's kind of like growing in proportion to the to the amount of, of budget that it has. Um, and in my mind, I think the first couple of seasons are are perfect because they are scaled excellently. They have the the huge scope and the feeling of, of a lot of scope, but they also don't um, you know, they they don't like overwhelm you with the 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 like set pieces and trying to impress you with with that kind of thing because i in my mind that's never what i think of when i think of game of thrones i think about the in a lot of ways the interpersonal stuff right Um, right so yeah yeah no i definitely know that the later seasons are i and and that was part of the reason why i didn't really ever want to watch the show after watching the first season and you know respect for um ned stark too you know just in in mourning i'm like yeah sorry man i can't watch this anymore um no i just uh i yeah i i was kind of like i don't really want to go into a show where i know it's going to be so good and it's going to get so bad right (laughs) um so i don't know worth what it's still worth watching the first i would say probably up to season six Oh, wow. if you get bored, but, um, like season, I, I, the problem is like, you want to know how it ends and then it ends and it kind of taints your, <laughs> your mind right, right. Uh, on what you think about the rest of the show. But, but the, the first, I, I think the first six seasons probably are, are still hold up really well. Yeah. Um, it's like how people feel about lost, right. Where it's like those first few seasons yeah, of yeah. lost are like, Oh, totally. so good. Right. And I'm like, I'm never watching lost. Sorry guys. I'm not doing and, it. And in the same way, lost like started out with such a good concept and just didn't know how to finish. So right. it's, it really is kind of the same problem. Although that was an issue of the, the entire concept of lost versus this, the concept is really good. But the the final execution was done without like someone at the helm, so you know it's yeah. hard to it's hard to really compare the the writing of the later seasons when there wasn't source material to go off, you know. But yeah, which is also another interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about um the writer George R. R. Martin, right? That's his name. Yeah, just because yep. he's he's attached to that Elden Ring game, and I've played a little bit of Elden Ring, and I was like, whoa, this is like. He's he's got I don't know how much he was even attached to that project at all, if any. But um, I think like the lore and the like some of the writing, I guess, or some of the character designs. I don't know. Yeah, there's something really special about that game if you're into that right now. But um you could see what I you could see what I've been thinking about in my my entertainment time, right, Cameron? So <laughs> um okay, well I think that I mean, besides the side tangent, Cameron, thank you for your expertise. Um, what are we watching next week? Do you want to tell the audience? Yeah, I think we are going to watch, um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, and it's, uh, it's a 2007 movie, so not too far off of this one. Uh, but it's one that I haven't seen again. I'm trying to, like I said, trying to fill in some of the movies of his that I, that I have not seen. Um, and this one comes highly, highly recommended by Juzo, um, as just sort of a visual masterpiece. Um, 
it is pretty long, so prepare yourself, Isaac. But okay. um, the yeah, I'll, I've heard only good things. So okay, cool. Well, Cameron, thanks for your time. Of course, audience, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we post as often as we can every week. Um, this is going out late on a Monday just because that's how the schedule's aligned. But we appreciate your support. You know where to find us if you want to support us in a bunch of different ways. But we thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.